Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. On the afternoon of December 21st, 1978, a half dozen Chicago investigators, armed with a fresh search warrant, made their way down into the crawl space beneath the home of John Wayne Gacy at 8213 West Somerdale Avenue in the Norwood Park neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. Officer Daniel Genty made his way crawling along his stomach to a spot underneath Gacy's kitchen where he saw what looked like human hair sticking out of the ground. Shining a floodlight on the area, he saw a long depression that looked like a dry lake bed with cracks in the yellow-gray covering of a layer of lime that Gacy had put over the entire surface of the dirt beneath his home. Genty popped an entrenching tool into the ground, and after two shovelfuls of dirt, he hit some whitish bits of soap-like material. It was adiposier flesh, body tissue that has chemically changed to a lard-like substance due to rot and moisture. The crawl space smelled like a sewer. Genty dug further and hit bone, an arm bone, a definitely human arm bone. There were more hairs on his little shovel. Genty turned towards some other officers poking their heads to the crawl space access door and said, charge him. I found one. Within minutes, Gacy was in police custody, charged on suspicion of murder. The body Genty had begun to uncover was the first of what would be 28 corpses that would be removed from underneath his home. We tend to like it dark here in the suck, and it's hard to get darker than this week's Gacy. So let's go full evil. Explore the man, the murderer, the fucking children's clown that was John Wayne Gacy today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy New Year, suckers. 2018, it's here. Hail Nimrod. Let's make it big. Let's make it real big. I'm Dan Cummins, and this is Time Suck. Welcome to the cult of the curious. Lucifina, clearly staring us into the new year. Not able to suck this one in the new suck dungeon, the suck studio, the suck lair. Uh, I'm still in uh, Denver, Colorado doing some shows, recording from a, uh, a walk-in closet in the nice condo they've got for me here. I've been doing shows at Comedy Works, uh, the South Comedy Works, the Landmark here in Denver, and just been overwhelmed by the amount of time suckers who came out this week. Wow. Uh, now I also really want to add Denver to the list of cities. I want to do a future live time suck in. Man, Denver came out in force this week. Appreciated so much. Even received some gifts. Got a, got a framed Rasputin. 
uh, newspaper clipping from 1917. Putting that in the office in the suck dungeon for sure. And if you're the time sucker that gave that to me, by the way, uh, please message me. I lost track of your name in the blur of suckers I was meeting after that Thursday show. I uh, really appreciate that. A couple tour dates, and then we'll get right into Gacy. More announcements at the end, including the topic for this Friday's bonus suck and a special upcoming Time Suck live event in February. New one. Indianapolis, January 5th and 6th. Providence, Rhode Island, January 19th, 20th. Chicopee, Massachusetts, January 21st. Philadelphia, January 25th through 27th. Baltimore, January 28th. Sorry that date wasn't posted at the Magoobies Comedy Club website. It is up now. Uh, Chicago, January 31st through February 3rd. New York City, Gotham Comedy Club, February 11th. More tour dates at either dancummins.tv, which is being rebuilt right now, or timesuckpodcast.com. Minneapolis tickets should be now on sale. Uh, they should have went on sale, uh, yeah, yeah, today, actually. They were supposed to be announced today, so grab those quick. Limited seating, ticket links, venue links uh, in the episode description for all the shows I mentioned and a few I did not. More announcements at the end of the show right now. Let's get into Time Suck 68, First Suck of 2018, John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. Very, very different man than John Wayne. Not the Duke. Uh-uh. Now, this is a Polish, uh, Illinois man who was uh, seen by, a, by some as a pillar of his community. He donated his time to cheer up sick kids, dressed as Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. He was heavily involved in the JCs, uh, volunteering at numerous community events, organizing parades, contributing both time and money to the local Democratic Party, helped get the First Lady, Rosalind Carter, you know, wife of President Jimmy Carter, uh, come to Chicago. Actually, Rosalind. Uh, there's a, there's a picture of the two shaking hands. He ran uh, several successful businesses, had a couple kids, convinced two women to marry him, dated many others. He wasn't some social outcast, not on the surface, uh, but he was a serious social deviant, had a dark side, big one. And at least 33 young men and boys lost their lives because of that dark side. So let's, let's suck into who he was and how he became a monster, an evil clown makeup wearing monster with a long, hard look at this sick, twisted life in a time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. March 17th, 1942. Future serial killer and arguably least funny and most evil clown ever, John Wayne Gacy, is born in the Portage Park neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. Portage Park, a.k.a. Clown Town, is the birthplace of several of America's most famous clowns, including Sildo the Clown, host of the nationally syndicated 1960s kids show, Sildo's Rodeo, uh, until the show was pulled and then buried in 1968 following some on-air issues with alcohol. Uh, also, Donald McDonald, uh, inspiration for the McDonald's clown, for Ronald McDonald. Uh, his name was changed to Ronald after a defamation suit brought on by Donald. Donald McDonald was uh, Barnum and Bailey's master clown from 1934 to 1939 until an accident with the show's human cannonball during rehearsals left the left side of his face partially paralyzed. He was unable to smile, and uh, the circus felt he was too scary to amuse children. And then Donald McDonald uh, died in a tragic accident involving a banana peel and an oversized rubber mallet a couple years after his forced retirement. None of that happened, except for John being born in Portage Park. Sildo's Rodeo? Come on. Sounds a little too close to Dildo. Dildo's Rodeo, doesn't it? Dildo the Clown. I hope some of you uh, went along for some of that ride. Anyway, Portage Park. Actually, an, official, an officially designated Chicago community located on the northwest side of town, uh, named due to it being the major portage linking the Des Plaines uh, and Chicago Rivers. And I hope I'm getting Des Plaines right. I thought it for sure would be like Des Plaines. But apparently, uh, you know, the locals have decided to, to fuck the uh, French pronunciation 
and, and call it Des Plaines, according, according to several videos I found. It, uh, Depl- uh, Portage Park is the largest Polish community in all of Chicago, uh, which you've, if you've ever been to Chicago, saying a lot, because that city is infested with dirty, mangy, disease-riddled Polish people spreading their genetically tainted and inferior lineage. Little known fact, actually uncommon for a Polish baby not to be born with several birth defects. Uh, Also, uh, a Polish person uh, of average human intelligence is considered a genius in the Polish community and is sought out by other Polish people for advice as kind of of an oracle or shaman. Uh, Actual fact, my wife is Polish, and I love to needlessly slander Polish people uh, just to tease her. I actually love Polish culture. Sausage and pierogies. Let's do it. Uh, Portage Park is heavily Polish, a large working class neighborhood. Gacy was of primarily Polish descent. He was born on St. Patrick's Day to John Wayne Gacy Sr., a Polish machinist, World War I veteran, also born in Chicago. A stern, hardworking Polish Catholic man who was also an abusive, violent, homophobic, drunk piece of shit. Uh, His mom was Marion Elaine Robinson. Uh, her maiden name, a homemaker with an incredibly, incredible ability to live in total denial of her entire life, basically. Uh, she was happy to be married to a man who made a good living, you know, he made a nice living, he's a good provider, and uh, who cares if he, you know, beat the shit out of her. She would refuse to think John had anything to do with any of the murders until the day he died, or I'm sorry, she died. John was their second child. John's older sister, Joanne, had been born two years earlier in 1940. In 1944, John Sr. and Marion's third and final child, Karen, is born. John Sr. would later be described by all three of his children as an unemotional man with a Jekyll and Hyde personality. His violence could seemingly show up out of nowhere. Uh, When little John was two, uh, you know, uh, and his sister Karen was only, oh, about uh, three three weeks old, he came home drunk one night and punched out several of Marion's teeth. Yeah, punched out his wife's teeth. Uh, she fled into the street while two-year-old John and four-year-old Joanne screamed inside the house as their father beat their mother on the sidewalk, only stopping when police officers intervened. As, uh, as little John Jr. got older, he'd try and come to his mother's defense when his dad would attack her. His father would uh, then also beat him, call him a sissy and a mama's boy. Yeah, well, Jesus Christ. What, what, what kind of sissy tries to keep their mama from taking a good punch to the face? What, what are you, gay? What are you, gay? with your little punching on your, on your mom? Get you weak in the knees? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, John Sr. was a total piece of shit. Uh, despite his violent temper, the kids apparently still loved their dad, were eager to please the man who wasn't warm, but at least wasn't beating the shit out of their mom when he was sober. Uh, sad little little John was really, really bad at uh, pleasing his dad. And pretty much openly just despised his son. His dad would call him fat, lazy, stupid, uh, all kinds of things. And, and mom didn't seem to uh, be an award-winning parent either. Uh, when John was young, Marion once found a, a bag of, of her panties under the porch where John would play. So she made him wear the, you know, wear a pair of her panties to, to shame him from what he'd done in kind of front of everyone. Made him put them on in the living room and prayed around with him. You know, that's, uh, that's not good parenting. And then dad came home from work and uh, beat him with leather, leather strap. Uh, he was once beaten with a leather belt by his father at the age of four for accidentally disarranging uh, car engine components his father had assembled. Uh, a lot of stories, actually, about, uh, you know, little John doing this, that, and the other, and then getting beat with leather strap. Dad loved to work him over with leather. Uh, dad was also homophobic. Not uncommon for a dad in the 40s. Uh, he would tell tell little John that he would probably grow to be queer. I'm uh, hoping that was less common. Uh, his mom also would say later that if uh, Gacy would have told his dad he was gay, his dad probably would have killed him. So, you know, maybe uh, John Sr., a l- little more aggressively homophobic than the average 1940s father. Towards the end of grade school, young Gacy began to suffer seizures and fainting spells. He was periodically hospitalized, uh, and this pissed Dad off. 
John Sr. felt that his pansy son was faking it. He's faking it for some attention, you know, especially when the cause of seizures and, faint- and faintings was uh, never conclusively discovered or identified. Uh, little John was given the vague diagnosis of heart trouble, and he- he'd occasionally, you know, suffer bouts of chest pain, lightheadedness, you know, for the rest of his life. Uh, medical problems prevented him from participating in school sports, further cementing his status as a gay mama's boy and his dad's cruel eyes. 1960, John struggled through school, may or may not have been molested by a contractor, a friend of his father's, who he didn't tell out of fear, you know, his dad would blame him for it, and then he dropped out of high school. That was in 1960. He dropped out during his senior year, volunteered for the local Democratic Party, which of course made his father sick to his stomach. I guess he considered the Democratic Party to be gay as well. Uh, John Jr. also volunteered at a civil defense organization that allowed him to go to accidents like car accidents and fires and even have a flashing blue light in his car made him feel important volunteering in various organizations over the remainder of his adult life, which he'd be very good at, uh, gave him a sense of approval. He just never got it home from his horrific father. Sometime between 1960 and 1962, John got tired of his dad's shit. He was still living at home, and his dad had helped him buy a car, but wouldn't really let him use it like you, like you should. Let somebody use it if you buy it for him. He'd take the keys from him, you know, if he didn't approve of John's behavior. He'd remove the distributor cap so he couldn't, you know, <laughs> car couldn't run when John got a spare set of keys. Uh, and, you know, that pissed John off as the last straw. So, you know, uh, he took he left Illinois and took off for Las Vegas. And he got a job at the Palm Mortuary. And also he uh, worked for a local ambulance service. He was, uh, he was already a creep. <laughs> After working at the funeral home for about three months, he apparently freaked himself out one night when he was alone uh, with the corpses. And he climbed into the coffin uh, that uh, was carrying the body of a teenage boy. And then he just kind of like fondled and caressed uh, the corpse for a while. And then, you know, the next day, I guess, you know, he just thought about his behavior and he freaked himself out and he called his mom and asked if dad would let him come back home. Uh, highly doubt he gave his mom the exact, the exact reason why. Did, what, what's wrong, John? Did, did, did something happen? Kind of. It's, it's not a big deal, ma. I'm not in any trouble or anything. I, I just, well, last night at work, I, I fell into one of the coffins of the bodies I've been working on. And uh, yeah, next thing you know, I got some, uh, some you know, I got some dead 14-year-old dick in my hand. And uh, how crazy is that? You know, total accident, of course. And uh, here's the thing. I'm not in trouble or nothing. I, I just feel like the longer I stay here, the, the more dead dick I'm going to end up falling on, falling on, you know, and touching and, and grabbing and, and putting it in my mouth and, and slamming on my butt and, you know, so forth. And, and you know how clumsy I am, huh? And, I, and I'd hate to embarrass dad if I got caught or anything. So, you know, people get the wrong idea. So I figure, how about uh, head home? You know, well, you know, there's less, let, you know, less dead dick laying around for a totally straight guy, total up and up, stand up straight guy like myself to uh, fall down and, and put my mouth on and such. Uh, back in Chicago, uh, I don't know if that's a Chicago accident, but it's the one I'm going to stick with. Uh, Gacy may or may not have gotten some type of degree from Northwestern Business College. I'm not sold on that. The vague businessy degree is referenced in a lot of sources on the web, so I feel like it's worth mentioning, but I can't find any primary source that gives any real definitive info about where he attended, or I'm sorry, when he attended, or what degree he actually obtained. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a maybe to a probably not. Uh, he did get a job, though, with the Nunn Bush Shoe Company. He was transferred to Springfield, Illinois, 200 miles and about a three-hour drive away from Chicago. The Nunbush Shoe Company, still around, uh, seems to specialize, based on what I found, in a variety of uh, cheap wingtips, Oxfords, penny loafers, uh, worn by men primarily who have completely given up any hope of ever making a woman's vagina wet again. Uh, picture the shoe of a struggling insurance salesman with a comb over and a wispy mustache, sipping a little gas station coffee, you know, wearing some brown polyester slacks, and you'll be picturing some Nunbush shoes. Uh, while working at Nunbush, selling those dope-ass kicks, John is promoted to a management position, and he meets his future wife, his future first wife, 
Uh, Marlon Myers, a nun Bush coworker. Man, the, the rare gal attracted to a shoe with a solid no-nonsense tread and a tweed-jacketed man bold enough to wear it. Well, after dating for nine months and having sweaty, awkward sex during which pasty Gacy undoubtedly left his black socks on, John and Marlon wed in September of 1964. Uh, 1964 is a big year for Gacy. He also joined the local JC's chapter, uh, a.k.a. the United States Junior Chamber, a leadership and civic organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40 who want to develop business and management skills and perform some community service. And until 1984, it was only dudes who could join up with the JC's, and you know Gacy loved that. Uh, an organization of only young dudes he could spend time with that wouldn't seem overtly homosexual to his homophobic father. And it was, uh, you know, with one of these fellow JCs with whom Gacy would later recount having his first homosexual experience. Uh, the two went out for drinks, and then Gacy crashed on the guy's couch where the new uh, colleague gave him a blowjob. You know, I doubt he uh, told his family that either. It's time to say, how are things going in Springfield, John? Uh, good, good, Ma. The JC's named me the key man. You know, quite an honor. I, I, I just asked Marlon to marry me, and business is going really swell. Selling a lot of shoes, a lot of wingtips with the little tassels. Uh, make a classy shoe, Ma. Don't, no, don't tell Dad, but I had another accent the other night. You know how clumsy I am, Ma. Had an accent with the JC buddy. We're sitting on the couch, pounding beers, doing straight guy stuff, talking about how women are attractive. You know, how men do. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, I kind of haul over, reaching for my beer, and, uh, and suddenly his dick is in my mouth. <laughs> it was a dangerous thing, Ma. Uh, he was so drunk, he must have thought it was a woman's nipple. or like a hot woman's nipple or something, because he, he started sucking on it. Uh, don't, don't tell Dad. You know, he'll probably think it's gay or something. And, and you know, that crazy pull that head of his. Anywho, uh, things are good, Ma. Things are good. Uh, by 1965, John was the vice president of the Springfield JCs. He's named third most outstanding JC in the state. He's not fucking around. Getting that JC on JC blowjob is probably what pushed him into the top three. Probably no better than top ten without that. Uh, strangely, the JCs make no mention of John in any of their literature. Huh. Weird. In February of 1966, John and Marilyn, uh, or Marlon have their first child, Michael, shortly uh, after moving to Waterloo, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Just before Michael's birth, John's new father-in-law gave John the business opportunity of a lifetime. He could manage three of the family's KFC franchises in Waterloo. All right, hot damn, making some of that chicken money, making some of that instant mashed potato dough, making some of that biscuit scratch. John moved to Waterloo as a mundane manufacturing and meatpacking town of about 75,000 people at the time, set in prime Iowa corn country, full of original recipe, drumstick-loving Midwesterners. Right, in a story about John taking over management of the three restaurants, the Waterloo Courier reported that John held a degree in accounting and business management. Again, can't find any proof of actual degrees, and considering the type of braggart you'll soon realize he was, uh, doubt it. Doubt it, but he lied to him. Uh, his father-in-law, Fred Myers, uh, being a good businessman himself, apparently never cared for John and tried right up until the wedding to persuade his daughter not to marry him. So, you know, smart dude. Uh, once married, though, and with his daughter pregnant with John's child, you know, he gave John a decent salary for the time, 15000 a year, plus 20% of those net chicken profits, getting some of that fried chicken scratch, getting some of that... You know, uh, coleslaw Benjamins. John attended Kentucky Fried Chicken University, got to managing. Now, I can't find any info online about an institution called Kentucky Fried Chicken University. However, it is referenced in the book I used uh, heavily for this episode, Killer Clown, the John Wayne uh, Gacy Murders, uh, written by Terry Sullivan. And, um, sorry, I just looked and I said John, John Wayne Gary. That's not how it is. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy Murders, written by Terry Sullivan. The Illinois State's attorney uh, prosecutor, 
who uh, and a pro- and prosecutor who spearheaded the investigation and arrest of John Wayne Gacy. And so I'm, I'm going to assume that it, it at least was a real place because that is fucking hilarious to me. I mean, God bless you if you've bettered your life by managing a KFC. But going to KFC University just sounds so incredibly sad. Just good news, mom. I'm going, finally going to college, just like I always said I was going to. That's great. I'm so proud of you, honey. Did the University of Iowa change their mind? I, I thought they turned you down. You know what? They did. They did turn me down. I don't even care. It doesn't matter now. I got into an even better school. I got one that doesn't care that I dropped out sophomore year or had a 1.2 GPA. I, mom, I got into KFC University. And two weeks from now, fingers crossed, your son will graduate with a degree in original recipe fried chicken with the focus and drumsticks. You promised me a car if I ever graduated from college, mom, and I can't wait to drive it two weeks from now. Um, yeah, about, th- about that car, honey. That was, uh, in 1967, John and Marlon had their second and final child, daughter Christine. Uh, John also finally wins a little approval from his father around this time with John Sr. taking him aside and telling him the now young, married, young father that he, he was wrong about him. Ah, oh, what a dick. Listen, son, I, I owe you an apology. Uh, if I'd have known you weren't some queer little mama's boy, I, I wouldn't have beat the shit out of you your entire childhood. And I, and I probably would have pulled a few punches on your mom as well, you know? So, you know, uh, sorry about the hassle. I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, thanks, Dad. Uh, I love you. Whoa, whoa, easy there, Professor Prissy Pants. I said I was proud of you. Uh, I didn't say I wanted to put your balls in my mouth. Jesus, let's, let's go have a beer. And forget about how, how gay you just made things, you know? Forget about how you made me want to punch your, your goddamn queer lights out for, for gaying up on me right there. Uh, John continued his involvement with the JCs in Waterloo, uh, becoming friends with the local president, even getting his picture in the paper as a JC where he was listed as, as Colonel Gacy. <laughs> uh, nod to his KFC empire. You're gonna call, you're, you call me the Colonel. You can call me the Colonel. He also gets uh, heavily involved in Waterloo nightlife with his JC buddies, frequenting bars and strip clubs, becoming quite the braggart, claiming he'd, you know, he'd laid over 100 women. Highly doubtful that he had sex with 100 women, but at least he, uh, he at least had sex with a few. Uh, one later claimed he was strange in bed and that he choked her when she refused to go down on him after intercourse. Uh, funny use of the word strange, uh, more like uh, psychotic, uh, abusive. Uh, John Wayne Gacy started getting pretty weird with his wife, offering her uh, up sexually to his drinking buddies, telling them, uh, you know, he'd let him let him sleep with her if they gave him a blowjob. And if this seems outrageous to you, uh, it was. And if you're wondering, how the hell would he get away with acting like that? Well, the more I would read about him, uh, the more this picture emerges of a guy who, who just makes outlandish statements under the guise of, you know, just, you're just fooling around. Hey, buddy, I don't, I, I don't really want you to blow me. Sheesh, sheesh, I was just fooling around. You, what, you thought I was serious? Come on. I just, can't a guy, what, can't a guy kid around anymore? I was just, I was just joking you. Jeez. Yeah, he was that douchebag. A loud, obnoxious personality I have always loathed. Uh, he was a guy who was joking, you know, just joking around until you took him up on one of his jokes, and then he was absolutely serious. Uh, Gacy was also involved in the Merchants Patrol in Waterloo, kind of an organized neighborhood watch patrol that guarded local businesses. Basically a bunch of wannabe police officers. John was always drawn to authority figures. Uh, always wanted to be around, you know, some power and some muscle. Wanted to feel connected. He'd bring free chicken to local police officers and firemen several times a month. He gave money and free chicken to underprivileged youth around Christmas time. He, he really went out of his way to show everybody what a good guy he was. You know, he loved being kind of like that big man on campus. You know, the unofficial mayor. Guy who knows everybody's name. He also set up a social club. This is so, this is so creepy. He set up a social club in his basement. Uh, for local teen boys, too young to get into bars at the time, uh, many of which he had met through hiring them to work at one of his KFC locations, and he, he would charge them monthly dues, and then they could drink beer and liquor and play pool and hang out and stuff, you know? Talk about a red flag. 
If my son ever tells me about some dude, some grown man, who's offered to let him and his friends come over and drink beers with just, you know, just him in the basement, no other, no other adults around, just this guy, that motherfucker's getting a visit from me. I, I feel like that's a guy you could beat the shit out of uh, without fear of legal re- repercussion, you know? Just head over with a baseball bat. Hey, uh, are, you, are you the guy who offered to let a bunch of teenage boys drink with you in the, in the basement? You, you are? Crack! Just start swinging. Go ahead. Call the cops, fuckface. I go down for assault, you go down for contributing to the delinquency of numerous minors, and you get the reputation of being a dude who in all likelihood is a creepy pedophile fuck. God, that's weird. Gacy, of course, made it even creepier than it already seems. He would openly challenge the boys to a game of, if you beat me in pool, I'll give you a blowjob. You know? One of his, come on, come on, lighten up, I'm just, I'm fooling around. I'm just, I'm just joking around. What are you getting so worked up for? You know, one of his joke, not jokes. <laughs> Jesus. He also told kids that the governor of Illinois had commissioned him personally, John, had commissioned John Wayne Gacy personally to conduct sexual experiments, some heterosexual, mostly homosexual, in the interest of scientific inquiry, right? He even shown some of them a certificate he had printed attesting to his membership in some sort of fictitious sexual commission. He would lecture them on sexual morality, explaining that homosexual thoughts were totally normal, including ones between men and boys. It's all part of life. You know, he'd, he'd offer up uh, sex with his wife again, if that's what it took, you know, to, to get them, to give him a blowjob first. Uh, by the way, he, he, that constant offer, I don't think his wife was aware of that offer in any serious way or the offer was ever taken up. I don't think anyone actually banged his wife. Uh, I'm no lawyer, but I feel like if someone does that to your kid, you can kill him. You know, like as long as you don't have a prior record, you can kill him and you're probably not going to do much time. And again, I'm no legal expert, so you might, you might want to check with other sources. But I just, I feel like, uh, you know, personally, you should be able to murder someone who tries to molest your kid. Uh, that obviously the balls on this deviant. How the fuck is his wife okay with any of this? You know, I guess you know she's like, oh, John, he just he jokes around. He just he jokes around. Uh, how is his father-in-law not threatening to pull the franchises from him? Well, the police end up intervening on the on the family's behalf. Uh, somebody finally rats this creep out. Sixteen-year-old Edward Lynch was working a, for John as a KFC dishwasher in 1967 when John invites him over, you know, to the basement for some beers and uh, you know a little game of his special pool. Uh, watch a couple pornos, you know, just, just normal shit for a grown man to do with a teenage employee. Fun guy stuff. And to make him even bigger creep, uh, he invites him over while his wife is still in the hospital after having just given birth to their daughter. He's a class act all the way around. Well, they play a few games of pool. You know, games, you know, Gacy clearly lets Edward win. And then John gets mad when, you know, Ed won't take him up on the free blowjob. You know, just come on, I'm trying to be a nice guy here. And put your balls in my mouth already. You know, yeah, show some respect for your host. Uh, even Chikatilo. Thought the kid was being a little rude. You know, did I mention he was in the basement? What is big deal? Why make why make a fuss? You get rude about the offer of penis and mouth? I get strange glance when you make a joke of using soft cock of shame for pool cue? You don't want to wrestle? You, uh, how we say in Russia, you real pooper of party. So, uh, upset about the blowjob refusal, Gacy grabs a carving knife from the kitchen and tells Edward to get into the bedroom and they wrestle on the bed. Uh, finally, finally, some fun, some wrestling. Uh, Gacy cuts Edward on the arm, apologizes, bandages him up, and then convinces Edward to watch some porn in the basement with him. <sighs> Poor Ed, man, clearly not the brightest of bulbs. When someone forces you into a bedroom with a knife and you get away, uh, you leave. That's when you leave, always. You do not accept their apology and then just, you know, chill out and watch some porn. Oh, and uh, real quick, for first-time listeners, Chikatilo, uh, real historical person, uh, another sick serial killer, not really in Gacy's basement. Uh, a little, I guess, inside joke. Uh, this started back in Time Suck 57 this past October. 
I just didn't want you to get hung up on what the fuck was that Russian guy doing there? Uh, back to the action. Uh, Gacy convinces Edward to, to let him tie him up. And uh, Jesus. And when Gacy tries to rape and choke him, he fights back, pisses himself. And, uh, and then Gacy comes uh, somewhat to his senses, I guess, and drives the boy home. Maybe realizes that, you know, people know that this kid is at his house. Well, Edward tells some of his friends what Gacy had done. One of these uh, friends is Daniel, Donald Voorhees Jr., uh, no relation to Donald McDonald. And <laughs> Donald said that, you know, recently he'd had some weird encounters with Gacy. Said Gacy paid him 50 bucks for some scientific sex research he was doing. Uh, over the course of a few months, you know, in the name of science, Gacy had given him, you know, a few blowjobs and gotten him drunk. Well, these two kids, uh, they decided to tell their parents, finally, uh, you know, uh, one of whom, Donald Voorhees Sr., also uh, no relation to Donald McDonald, is a fellow JC who's been helping Gacy run for JC president. What was Gacy thinking? Molesting the kid of the guy helping you run for JC office. Dude was a fucking total psycho. Well, the parents go to the police. Incredibly, no one tries to kill Gacy, and Gacy ends up getting charged with sodomy. Now, interesting legal note here. I always assumed sodomy was only anal sex, but legally... This is not always the case. I did some digging, and in Alabama, for example, currently sodomy is listed under the broader title of deviant sexual intercourse, and deviant sexual intercourse is sexual relations between unmarried people involving the sex organs of one person and the mouth or anus of the other. That's right. Technically illegal over there, you know, to uh, put your wean in a butt or mouth if, you know, you're not married to the owner of the butt or mouth. Uh, side note on the side note, uh, I did my sodomy research in a Denver Starbucks this week where I am positive I was creeping out numerous other customers. It was really crowded, like really crowded. There's only one spot for me to sit uh, when I got my coffee and, uh, and, and it happened to be this big long table where there's people right next to me and the line, uh, of people waiting to get their coffee is directly behind me, like almost touching me behind me. And I have my, <laughs> my computer, I have all these browser tabs open to just uh, nothing but like John Wayne Gacy shit, nothing but serial killer documentaries, various articles, you know, a, 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 a Kindle book on John Wayne Gacy, just tons of pictures of Gacy, you know, uh, I hadn't combed my hair or anything yet. <laughs> uh, they had to have thought just like, we, we got to keep an eye on this guy, you know, I got another, you know, uh, a tab open to the legality of sodomy. Ah. Anyway, shit you learn with time stuff. Where else would you find that out? Well, uh, while awaiting trial for sodomy charges, Gacy tries uh, playing, you know, or tries paying another kid to beat up the Voorhees, the Voorhees kid, and then that kid gets caught uh, and confesses that Gacy was the one who had paid him to attack Donald Jr. Uh, no relation to Donald McDonald, and the police put Gacy in jail. And then on December third, nineteen sixty-eight, Gacy is sentenced to ten years in prison. His wife uh, immediately files for divorce. His father-in-law immediately cuts him out of the family KFC business, and Gacy would never, ever see his two young kids again. How humiliating for the father-in-law and his wife, man. Uh, you know, and Gacy's wife, you know, for the father-in-law's daughter. I don't normally advocate cutting a birth parent out of a kid's life or kids' lives, but in this case, hell yes. Uh, Gacy wasn't about to let a little incarceration stop his work with the JCs. Uh-uh. Not sure how he's not banned from that organization for life now, but he runs the prison JCs chapter. At Christmas, he's the prison Santa Claus. He wins a sound citizen award. You know, he's a, he's a good guy. Just, just you know, he's a good guy. You know, he made a mistake. He, uh, he slipped when he was, you know, walking down the stairs of the basement and his mouth landed on a kid's dick. You know, it happens to the best of them, I guess. Uh, his mom, queen of denial, will not believe any of the charges, writes letters to the prison system asking for leniency, early release. John Sen- uh, his dad, his John Sr.'s health starts to fail. And uh, the family hopes, you know, he could get out and see good old pa before he dies. 
poor dad has gotten so sick he doesn't even have the energy to beat the shit out of his wife anymore. Well, John Jr. does not make it out in time. On Christmas Day, 1969, John Sr. passes away from cirrhosis of the liver. And because he uh, had asked God for forgiveness, he's a good Catholic, he went straight to heaven, where life is perfect for him and it'll be blissful forever. I mean, that's how it works, right? Dirtbags get to pull a, sorry, sorry about that, uh, in their final minute, and then all is forgiven, all of their horrible deeds. Just, how you got, uh, man, you know, now that I'm a couple of minutes or so from, from dying, I, I got to tell you, I am real sorry about the whole punching my wife's teeth out, uh, about all the whoopings, uh, the constant leather whippings and the whappings on little Johnny and the whole telling him he's fat and worthless and a queer and a crybaby and you know, yada, yada. And, uh, oh, and, and being, being drunk all the time and uh, scaring the shit out of the family and, and crippling all of them emotionally forever and, and whatnot. So, you know, I uh, just want to say my bad. Uh, you know, just do a couple Hail Marys and when we're good, right? We're cool. Uh, thanks, God. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're the fucking best. Uh, on June 18th, 1970, John is granted early release. Uh, real early, uh, dude served only 18 months for repeatedly molesting a teenager, uh, was finally able to get his high school diploma in prison as well, which makes me really doubt about, uh, you know, really doubt his earlier business degree claims. Getting out early, man, after a child sodomy charge. That shit makes me sick. When is this country going to stop fucking around with sex offenders? Put those motherfuckers in a dark pit. Leave them there to rot. And look, I know, I know. What if they're innocent? What if they've been wrongly incarcerated? Okay, well, can we at least throw repeat offenders into a pit? People who've been repeatedly convicted. Leave them to rot. They didn't get framed twice or more. Give me a break. Okay, well, per conditions of his parole, Gacy had to go back to Chicago, live with his mom. He had a curfew, had to check in regularly with his parole officer, took a job as a short-order cook. I'm sure the waitresses loved working with him. I'm sure he was fantastic. Uh, didn't even make it a year before getting arrested again, charged on February 12, 1971, was sexually assaulting a teenage boy, took the kid back to his house, tried to rape him before the teen escaped, but when the teen did not appear in court, the charges were dismissed. And because police agencies didn't communicate with each other very effectively in the days before the internet, his parole officer never found out. Too bad. A lot of lives would have been saved had he gone back to prison for many years. In October... Of 1971, his parole ended and Gacy was truly a free man again. Also, he convinced his mom to move to a bigger house and they moved to Norwood Park Township, an unincorporated area of Cook County, just north and outside of Chicago. This house, located at 8213 West Somerdale Avenue, is where Gacy would live until his arrest in December 1978 and where he would commit all of his known murders. Also in 1971, Gacy started dating Kathy Hull, a woman who got to high school with him and uh, knew John's little sister, a woman who... You know, he, he dated when he was 16. She was going through a divorce. John married her in July of 1972, became stepdad to her two daughters. What the fuck? She had to have known about his prison time. Why, why are you dating, as a mom, a dude with a sex offense conviction? I'm sure he convinced her it was all big misunderstanding, you know. And I'm also guessing that Kathy Hull is dumb as a rock. Sorry if, uh, if, you, if you're hearing this, Kathy. Sorry if, you, sorry if she's a sweet lady. But come on, how desperate are you? How... You know, how low is your self-esteem when you start dating a convicted sex offender, fresh off parole, and how reckless of you to endanger your kids that way? <sighs> John started, uh, started a contracting business in 1971, uh, PDM, which stood for Polish Dirtbag Molester Incorporated. And people started hiring him to legally molest their kids. Of course not. Uh, PDM stood for Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance. And he started taking odd jobs in interior design, remodeling, installation, assembly, landscaping. Business is going well. He got his mom to move out. So he and his wife and his kids could have the house themselves. He got his mother-in-law, who had also moved in, to move out as well. And then he just went right back to surrounding himself with teenage boys, just just like the good old days back at KFC. Except now it's you know hiring him to, to hiring those kids to work with him in a PDM. Well, 1972, two years out of prison, the killing started. Uh, 
His preferred MO would become a trick he'd play on his victims over and over. He'd get a boy drunk, pull out a pair of handcuffs, and have the boy cuff Gacy behind Gacy's back. And then, then he'd uncuff himself, and he'd tell them he'd show them how to do it. He'd then handcuff their hands behind their back, and then he'd show them the key, explaining that he had it the whole time, and that that was the trick. You gotta have the key. And then he'd fuck with them, horrifically. Uh, sounds like a terrible, terrible trick. Sounds, sounds worse than the infamous pull-my-finger fart trick. Several of the few victims, uh, or the first few victims of the trick, luckily lived to talk about it. He handcuffed uh, an early teenage employee with the last name of Ed Combe, sat on, his, sat on the kid's stomach, choked him for a bit before deciding to let him go. Uh, he handcuffed 16-year-old Anthony Antonucci, who was able to slip out of uh, one handcuff and fight Gacy off when Gacy tried to choke him. Several other local youths would tell investigators later that uh, when they, who were looking into Gacy's crimes after his arrest, uh, what he'd done to them. You know, he'd handcuffed a bunch, chloroformed some, beaten many, told one he'd, he'd kill him if he didn't let him perform anal intercourse on him. When he was done, he'd dare them to rat him out. He'd tell them no one would believe their story. A teen employee he'd taken on a business trip to Florida in 1973 claimed that uh, Gacy raped him in the hotel room. And that kid actually showed up at Gacy's Chicago house and beat the shit out of Gacy in Gacy's front yard. Reading that was uh, my, literally my favorite part of researching this, uh, this piece of shit. Too bad he didn't beat him to death. Would have made a fantastic ending to this sto- story. Uh, Gacy told his wife, and the kid was just, you know, mad that Gacy had fired him. <laughs> uh, these, these kids now, you know, they, they do a terrible job. You, you stick one boner in their butt, uh, you fire them, and they haul off in dickus. Uh, what? 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 What did you just say, John? These kids, they don't do a good job. You, you fire them, and they, and they deck us. No, you, you said something else the first time. No, I didn't. Kids don't want to work hard these days. They think life is just one big walk in the park where you, you get a free ride. No one sticks a bone in your butt, you know? That's it. You just said it again. Just like he'd done in Waterloo, Gacy had ingratiated himself to the community. Give these poor kids, you know, uh, more reason to believe that no one would think he was the monster they'd now just seen firsthand. He'd become active in local Democratic Party politics. He'd even met First Lady Rosalind Carter, 1978. He'd offer up his PDM employees for Democratic Party use free of charge. Reminds me of Jim Jones, man, uh, offering his followers to political candidates in San Francisco. Uh, 1975, he was the director of Chicago's annual Polish Constitution Day parade. Through his uh, membership in a local moose club, he got into clowning. As if clowns didn't already have a bad name, he joined the Jolly Jokers, a clown club that performed at fundraising events, parades, children's hospitals. He came up with three characters, uh, Pogo the Clown, uh, Patches the Clown, and Donald McDonald. Kidding about that last one. I just love saying Donald McDonald. Sounds like uh, Ronald's deadbeat brother. You know, Ronald's out there kicking ass, opening franchises, making that cheeseburger scratch. And old Donald's out eating stale fries out of the dumpster behind the shop. Gacy, uh, he really did do a fair amount of clowning. And if hell is real, uh, JWG is down there entertaining the devil and his evil clown getup. Interesting note about clowns, uh, Gacy's clown alter egos is that unlike the rounded makeup lines that most clowns use to kind of soften the features and look less scary, Gacy's clown uh, characters had sharp angles that outlined the makeup around his, you know, like his eyes and mouth. You know, he's putting that evil out there, you know, right for everyone to see. I bet that piece of shit creeped out so many people. I bet when he finally got caught, there was so many more of, I fucking knew something was wrong with that guy, than there was of, holy shit, John? Really? I'm shocked. Uh, he would also sometimes show up at one of his uh, favorite local bars, the Good Luck Lounge, still in his makeup, have a few drinks. Guy was so scary in so many ways. I think if a scary-looking clown came in and sat next to me at a bar, I'd, I'd quickly finish my drink and take off. You know, right after getting a pick or two for Instagram. 
I, I only wonder what he'd say as a clown, you know? <laughs> hey, kids, who wants to see a trick? Who wants old Pogo to put some cuffs on you and sit on your chest? <laughs> hey, some clowns have a flower that squirts water. Uh, mine squirts chloroform. <laughs> Want to see old Pogo slip on the banana peel? Well, tough shit, Jackoffs. Pogo falls for no one. Time to die, kudos. No, we all float down here. I don't know. It probably wasn't that you know openly scary. That'd probably be a bit much. Uh, Gacy's first known murder victim uh, was 16-year-old Tim McCoy. Uh, Gacy had picked him up at a Greyhound bus terminal the night of January 2nd, 1972, when his wife was out of town. Took the kid on a sightseeing tour of Chicago. Took him back to his house for some booze. Uh, then he raped the kid. Raped him that night. Woke up uh, the next morning, and the kid, uh, who didn't he didn't perform the handcuff trick on, uh, was coming at him with a knife he'd grabbed from the kitchen. You know, I'm guessing he raped him. I'm saying that because uh, uh, he, he would say that they just had sex, but I don't think too many people, you know, come at you with a kitchen butcher knife after a pleasant evening of buggery. After getting cut on the arm, uh, Gacy wrestled the knife away from the boy, ended up uh, slitting the kid's chest, or I'm sorry, ended up sitting on the kid's chest and then stabbed him repeatedly. He later say that as he's killing him, he had a mind-numbing orgasm, and he realized that death was the ultimate thrill. Man, damn it. All these serial killers, man, seem to seem to share something similar to this moment Gacy just had. You know, after that first kill, they're generally not repulsed. You know, they feel more alive than ever, like they've just been shown their purpose, like they've just been given a hit of their new favorite drug. He cleans up the mess before his wife gets home, buries the kid in the crawl space beneath his house. He would end up burying all but his last several victims there. It'd be two years before John would kill again. And, you know, I guess, uh, guess he kind of scared himself a little bit. January 1974, Gacy would kill a kid who would never be identified again when his wife wasn't home. Gacy would claim he couldn't remember the kid's name, which may have been true. He'd later claim to have picked up and brought home like a few hundred teens, most of whom he'd only met that night. Couldn't remember, you know, who all of them were. Some of the kids he brought back to his house, you know, he'd bring them back with the promise of just being a, a, f- a fun dude who wanted to give them a job. You know, some were team prostitutes. Some were he just, you know, hey, man, let's go have some booze, let's go watch some porn. Other times he'd pretend to be a police officer and, you know, and order them into the car. Then handcuff him. Uh, almost all of them were put, picked up, you know, late in the evening, and most of his victims were killed in the middle of the night. In 1975, between all the uh, young dudes coming over all the time and finding a bunch of gay porn in the house, Gacy's wife confronts him about being gay. He confesses, and they divorce, and she moves out. Now he has a whole house to himself, and the frequency of his killing uh, escalates dramatically. Sadly, neighbors could have done so much more to stop it. One neighbor would later rec- uh, recollect that uh, for several years, she and her son had repeatedly been awoken by the repeated sounds of muffled screaming, shouting, and loud crying in the early morning hours, which she and her son had identified as emanating from Gacy's house. Why are people so reluctant to call the police in situations like that? I do not understand that. If you hear muffled screaming from a neighbor's house, call the fucking police the first time you hear that. Every, do, always do that. Never ignore that. I mean, what do you think's going on there that isn't terrible when you hear muffled screaming? You know, if it turns out to be some hardcore BDSM, well, th- fucking whatever. Okay. Then you say, hey, sorry about that. I didn't know. And if they're still assholes about that, then fuck them. And those are shithead neighbors. Like, if you're doing a bunch of crazy BDSM shit and it sounds like someone's being murdered and your neighbors call the cops, you don't have the fucking right to get all indignant about it, you fucking moron. Uh, anyway, sorry. kind of went, <laughs> went off on a tangent there. A month after his divorce is finalized, uh, Gacy uh, abducts, handcuffs, and strangled 18-year-old Daryl Sampson on April 6, 1976, and into the crawl space he goes. Five weeks later, 
Only five weeks later, on May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Reffitt disappears while walking home from Scene High School. Hours after him, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanishes as he walks home from his sister's apartment. The bodies of both teens would share the same grave under Gacy's home. Two in one night. Uh, less than three weeks later, on June 3rd, 1976, a 17-year-old boy by the name of Michael Bonin disappears while traveling from Chicago to Waukegan. Uh, Gacy would cuff and also strangle him to death, and his body would end up in the crawl space. Ten days later, on June 13th, 1976, Gacy strikes again. 16-year-old William Carroll meets the same fate. Three additional victims would be killed by August 6th. He's killing a kid a week now, and they'd all share the same crawl space grave. On July 26, 1976, Gacy employs an 18-year-old named David Cram. A few uh, years later, on the day Gacy was arrested for murder, Cram would state that Gacy told him he'd killed 33 people. On August 21st, Cram moves into the house. He and Gacy would have an odd relationship, to say the least. Day after moving in, Gacy got Cram drunk, pulled the old handcuff trick on Cram, and then Gacy swung Cram around, like swung him around through the air, while holding the chain, linking the cuffs. Gacy then told David that he intended to rape him. Cram was able to kick Gacy in the face and then freed himself from the handcuffs. You know, was able to grab the key. And then for some reason, he doesn't immediately move out, which is insane to me. Uh, I'm just guessing. Gacy probably gave him the old joking around excuses. You know, just, man, man buddy, you, you really got all, you got cranked up last night. My face, my face really hurts. You fucking handcuffed me. You swung me around. You told me you were going to rape me. Ah, is that why you got all bent out of shape? Ah, jeez. I thought you knew how to take a joke. You know, I was just uh, fooling, man. I just fooling. That's just how I kid, buddy. That's just all in fun. You know, I didn't know you were so sensitive. Well, a month later, uh, Gacy jokes around again and appears at Cram's bedroom door in the middle of the night telling him again he's going to rape him. Uh, it was a good bit the first time, you know, so why not use it again? Uh, he says, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it'd be good if you give me what I want. It's a quote. Uh, Cram has to fight him off again, resists uh, Gacy's attempts to assault him, and then Gacy leaves the bedroom. After this incident, Cram does move out. Good call. However, he does still continue to work for Gacy over the next uh, couple of years. Weird call. Hey, uh, Dave, are uh, you still hanging around with John? Kind of. I, uh, I finally moved out. Yeah, I got totally fed up with the guy trying to rape me all the time. Uh, but he pays a decent wage. So, you know, we still work together. We have lunch from time to time and such. You know, he's never tried raping me at work or lunch or nothing. So, you know, it, it's cool. Uh, the month after Cram moves out, Gacy kills two more males whose bodies would never be identified. Then on October 24th, 1976, Gacy pulls another double shift. He picks up two teenagers who were last seen outside a restaurant on Clark Street. They'd share the same crawl space grave. Just days later, 19-year-old employee, uh, 19-year-old employee of Gacy named William Bunny would end up in a new grave under Gacy's bedroom. Gacy took a vacation from constant raping and murdering in November and then was back at it in December. Another PDM employee, 17-year-old Grace uh, Gregory Godzik, disappears. His parents would call Gacy and ask him if he knew anything, and Gacy told him that Greg had talked to him about wanting to run away from home. Why was he so compelled to keep killing was he just a bloodthirsty psychopath? Or did he have, you know, just a, a hard time getting a good night's sleep? Was he just really tired? And was he not thinking clearly all the time? M maybe. Maybe. Let's talk about today's sponsor. The first time suck of 2018 is brought to you by Lisa Mattresses. Driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, Lisa is an innovative, direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. For every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program because they're awesome. They're good people, seriously. They also plant one tree for every mattress sold, donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes, 
Not to mention with a patented universal adaptive feel, Lisa is designed for all types of sleepers and features three premium foam layers, a two-inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, a two-inch memory foam layer, a middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief, and a six-inch dense core support foam for durability and structure, which works for sleepers of all sizes. All of my three la- or all of the three layers are blessed by Nimrod himself. Hail Nimrod! Uh, I love my Lisa mattress. So does my wife. So does my dog Penny. And soon, a second dog uh, by the name of Ginger will be enjoying our sweet Lisa. And now, Lisa is continuing to expand its offerings uh, to include the Lisa pillow, blanket, foundation, and frame. So try Lisa mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free, available in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany online with free shipping. This 100% American-made mattress ships uh, compressed in a box right to your door. Or try it at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City, in Virginia Beach, and over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. Right, spreading around. I love it. Get $100 off when you go to L-E-E-S-A dot com slash timesuck. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash timesuck. Link in the episode description. All right. Enough socially conscious goodness. Back to that piece of shit, John Wayne Gacy. Uh, a month after the previous murder on January 20th, 1977, 19-year-old John Sick uh, showed up at Gacy's home to sell him his Plymouth Satellite. He ended up in the crawl space, and Gacy would sell his car to another youth named Michael Rossi. By March, Gacy would claim two more victims. Then he'd take April off. Then he'd make up for it in May by killing two unidentified youths on the same day again. Right? Another double shift. Two kids who would share the same crawl space grave. That spring, he'd also date a woman for a few months, get engaged, and break it off in June. Gotta keep up public appearances. Uh, shortly after breaking it off, he cuffs, strangles 19-year-old Matthew Bowman uh, into the crawl space. He goes... Kill another six men in 1977, one of whom, uh, 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, was the son of a Chicago police sergeant. He was also interviewed by police in 1977 about one of the disappearances he created. Uh, The kid he'd sold six car to, Michael Rossi, got arrested for stealing gasoline, and the police traced the car to Gacy's house because Michael had listed Gacy's house as his address. He was another PDM worker who had lived with Gacy a little while, and Gacy just told the cops that Sick had sold him the, the car to raise some money to leave town, and then that was that. All right, well, December 30th, 1977, uh, Robert Donnelly has a brief stint in hell. This is an incident uh, that would give investigators a little insight into how many of Gacy's victims would spend their final hours. And man, this whole episode has been dark, but this next bit is is about as dark as it gets. This is truly an example of some super scary stuff. Super scary stuff. After a few beers at a friend's house on the northwest side of Chicago, 19-year-old Robert Donnelly left a little after midnight and walked to a bus stop on December 30th, 1977. Gacy pulled up, pretended to be a cop, and asked him for some identification. When Donnelly leaned in the passenger window to show Gacy his driver's license, Gacy pulled a gun on him, told him to get in. Donnelly obeyed, and Gacy cuffed him and drove him to his home, screaming at him to stay quiet whenever he tried to ask why he was being arrested. Gacy led him, handcuffed into his home, sat him down, and then poured himself a drink, started babbling about how no one respected him, about how, you know, women only cared about money and a man's looks. He offered Donnelly a drink, and when Donnelly refused, Gacy just dumped some liquor on his face. He told the kid he didn't want to shoot him, but he would, and that his house was soundproof. He then uncuffed him, asked Donnelly to give Gacy his ID. Once the kid did, he slid the cuffs back on and told Donnelly, I should kill you now, because you don't respect me either. Once Donnelly had the cuffs back on, Gacy led him to the couch, threw him on his stomach, you know, and, uh, and then pulled his pants down and raped him. 
Donnelly momentarily passed out from the pain, and then when he came to, Gacy led him to the bathroom where he was filling up the tub with warm water. He slipped a rope around the kid's neck, twisted it tight. Then he'd slap Donnelly's head into a wall, twist the rope even tighter, kept asking Donnelly if he was having fun. How does it feel? We're having fun, huh? Then Gacy knocked out Donnelly's legs from under him, pushed his head under the bathwater, twisting the rope, and he did that until Donnelly passed out. And fuck the thoughts that would be going through your head in a moment like this. Like you've just been raped and now your head's been held underwater. Donnelly comes to. He's naked. Now his hands were handcuffed behind his back. He's laying on the bathroom floor. The monster Gacy is standing above him. Gacy picks him up enough to shove his head back under the bathwater, asking again, we're having fun, huh? He holds him under until Donnelly passes out a second time in the tub. When he woke up again, Gacy was sitting on the toilet and asked, looking for me? Big shit-eating grin on his face. He was loving this. Pure evil. Total disregard for the well-being of another human being. Someone who has done nothing to him. Gacy showed him some nude photos in a penthouse magazine. Asked him if he liked what he saw. Donnelly was too weak to respond, so Gacy started kicking him. Then threw his face underwater again until he passed out in the tub for a third time. When he woke up again, Gacy dragged him into his bedroom. We had a projector projecting some gay porn onto the wall. He told Donnelly he was just in time for the late show. Then he sat on the kid's back as the kid's lying on his stomach, pulls his head up by his hair so the kid could see the movie. When the film's over, Gacy wonders out loud, what, a, what, what fun game can we play next? You know, he sits Donnelly up against a wall, tells him they're going to play some Russian roulette, gets out a revolver, spins the chamber, points the barrel at Donnelly's head, and pulls the trigger. Nothing. Does it again. Nothing. And again. And again. Until finally the gun goes off, and it's a blank. Still just fucking with Donnelly. Laughing the whole time. Big belly laughs. Having the time of his life. Yeah, it's too bad that Bojangles couldn't have swept into that house at a time like that. Just three-legged, one-eyed pit bull mascot of the suck, Prophet of Nimrod, and just chew Gacy's fucking eyes out. Stick a rusty tin can up his ass. One that cuts his anus a little more every time he sobs in pain. Unties Donnelly. Lets that kid kick Gacy around for as long as he fucking wants to. And then bites down into Gacy's balls, drags him into the crawl space, buries that sadistic motherfucker alive with one of the decaying corpses of his victims to keep him company. If only. If only Bojangles could do that, he would. But alas, Bojangles was not there to save anyone. And the cruelty of Gacy only intensifies. He tells Donnelly that uh, he once killed some girls in Schiller Park, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't fun. It was way more fun to kill guys, way more entertaining. Then he chokes Donnelly with his hands until Donnelly passes out. The fifth time Donnelly had lost consciousness that evening. When Michael wakes up, he has a gag in his mouth. Gacy proceeds to punch him and then anally rape him with the dildo until he passes out from the pain of the sodomy, losing consciousness for a sixth time that terrible evening. When he comes to, Gacy asks him if it was fun to scream when no one can hear you. Gacy takes the gag out of his mouth, tells him not to scream, and starts to rape him again with the dildo. Donnelly asks him just to get it over with and kill him. And then Gacy takes Donnelly back into the bathroom, takes the cuffs off, holds the gun at him, tells him to shower because he looks rough. Then, you know, he keeps the gun on him while the kid gets dressed, puts the cuffs back on. Donnelly leads him back to the car. Once in the car, he asks Donnelly how it feels knowing that he's going to die. Man, he just loved having that power, didn't he? That control. And then Gacy drove him downtown. It was the middle of the night at this point. And then he took the cuffs off and dropped him off in front of a Marshall's Field store or Marshall Field store. And he tells Donnelly if he went to the cops, Gacy would find him. He would hunt him down and find him and kill him. And then added that even if he did go to the cops, who cares? Who was going to believe him? And so Donnelly got to live. After experiencing several hours in hell, experiencing some seriously super scary stuff. Well, 
Donnelly did go to the police, uh, where he recounted what had happened to him and even gave the police Gacy's license plate number. And then on January 6, 1978, Gacy is arrested at his home on suspicion of deviant sexual conduct. He tells investigators that everything Donnelly said was true, except that it had all been consensual. Man, just some BDSM stuff, man, just some kinky rough sex, that's all. And then an assistant state's attorney believes him and drops the charges. Just like Gacy had predicted, no one would believe Donnelly. A a month later, on February 16, 1978, Gacy would strike again, luring 19-year-old William Kindred back to his home, where he would be the final victim to be buried under Gacy's home. Gacy wasn't done killing. He had just run out of room to bury bodies beneath his house. In March 1978, Gacy decided to commit another catch-and-release crime. He lured 26-year-old Jeffrey Ringnall into his car, chloroforms him, takes him back to his home, rapes him, tortures him with stuff like lit candles and whips, repeatedly chloroforms him, unconscious, only to revive him from more rape and torture. And then he dumps him off in Lincoln Park, unconscious but still alive. He was also able to identify Gacy after he staggered to his girlfriend's house, and she called the police. Gacy would be charged with battery and he would be awaiting trial for this charge later when he's arrested for murder. The constant chloroforming permanently damaged Rignall's liver. Gacy would kill five more men uh, over the course of 1978 until his arrest. He'd dump all five of the bodies into the Des Plaines River off the I-55 bridge. The extra trouble of disposing of the bodies, uh, you know, not being able to just put them in his crawl space, may have slowed down the rate at which he murdered. His last victim was 15-year-old Rob Peast. And his decision to snatch Rob from a place where he knew people and to do so in mid, you know, midday, you know, kind of broad daylight, basically, would lead to his arrest. Uh, Rob worked at uh, Des Plaines Pharmacy and his boss knew Gacy and had brought Gacy over to talk about a potential PDM remodel on December 11th. Gacy made a comment about, you know, paying teens who worked for him, you know, $5 an hour, which was more than twice what the pharmacy made, said it was an earshot of Rob who was saving up for a, for a car. Before Gacy left, Rob then went and spoke with Gacy, who invited him over to his house to talk about it. Rob called his mom and said that a contractor had offered him a job, and then, you know, he'd be right back. He left the pharmacy, you know, after his shift, told a co-worker he'd be right back. His mom was coming to pick him up, and then no one uh, but Gacy ever saw him alive again. Peace was not the kind of kid who runs away. Uh, he was a 15-year-old sophomore at Maine West High School. He was hardworking, got good grades, was almost an Eagle Scout. He was an athlete training for a sophomore gymnastics team. He was close to his parents. And the day he went missing, uh, his family was celebrating his mom's 46th birthday. You know, they were, they were waiting for him that evening to blow out the candles on the cake. They're, this is not an event this kid was going to miss. He had never done anything like that before. He wasn't a street kid, wasn't a runaway. Uh, and, uh, you know, and his parents, you know, immediately called the police when he didn't return to the store for his mom to pick him up. And so, and, uh, you know, and he, and he tells, uh, she tells the police that, you know, uh, that Rob had told her he was speaking to a con- contractor. You know, through some quick questions at the pharmacy, he realizes she realizes that a contractor well, he had just been there. This guy named Gacy, John John Wayne Gacy, you know. And so the police uh, do uh, after the, after she files a missing persons report, uh, they do end up talking to this uh, you know to Gacy, and he denies that he's ever met this kid, which was a big red flag for local police. You know, and police is you know so they're suspicious now, and they look into Gacy's background and they find the battery charge. You know, from the the guy he dropped off in Lincoln Park earlier, they find the sexual deviancy complaint against him from a little bit before that. They keep digging. They eventually find that old sodomy charge, you know, that he served uh, 18 months for, and they ask Gacy to come in for questioning the next day. Well, Gacy fails to show up until 2 in that morning. He was supposed to get there by 11 p.m. at the very latest. He shows up with pants covered in mud, complaining about some strange undocumented car accident. They got real suspicions and put a surveillance team on him. 
team on him. Uh, turned it turned out he didn't show up because he still had to get rid of Peace's body, and he got into a little uh, car accident on the way back from dumping his body over the bridge. Uh, the surveillance team would monitor Gacy day and night for just over a week, and more of Gacy's personality would emerge. He'd alternate between telling the police officers he was going to you know, come after them in some kind of defamation suit one minute, and then the next he's inviting them into his house for drinks. Officers note that his house stinks, but don't initially assume that the reason for the stink is decomposing bodies. On numerous occasions, he takes officers out, you know, buys them meals and drinks. In one bar, he, he tells everybody they're his bodyguards. In another, he gets mad and tells everybody that the FBI is harassing him. He told them that, you know, not only did he have no idea where Rob Peast was, but that he'd actually hired a private investigator himself to find the kid. You know, he's a, he's a good dude trying to do the right thing. Why are they harassing him? You know, he'd be super buddy-buddy one moment, telling the cops how much he respected police officers. And then the next, he told them he had mob connections and he knew guys that wouldn't hesitate to kill a cop if they messed with their buddy Gacy. It's like his dad, you know, it's the old Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. You know, on at least two occasions when talking about his uh, clown characters, the numerous paintings of clowns inside his house just to make victims' final hours that much more terrifying were also noted by officers. He said, uh, you know, clowns can get away with murder. He actually said that several times. Uh, now, he, now, he was referring, uh, at least, you know, outwardly to tales of his. He was telling his officers about being able to fondle women, about being able to grope them when he's in his clown makeup. You know, he's, he's always talking about how many broads he was banging. Just classic closet homosexual speak. Uh, still though, man, pretty ballsy to actually say that. Uh, he was also telling friends that the police had nothing on him. And I think he really believed that he was so cocky. He'd gotten away with so many murders. He felt untouchable, felt like he'd always be able to outsmart the cops, you know, and he'd always be able to outsmart the tales of some of his victims. Meanwhile, the police had now confiscated some of his vehicles, including an Oldsmobile, the, the one he had driven, uh, Rob Peast home in. A police German shepherd that specialized in body retrieval indicated that Rob had for sure been in that car. So investigators are able to obtain a search warrant, and they go through Gacy's home. And during their first search, they find uh, old IDs from missing people, uh, bloodstains on the carpet, tons of sex toys and porn. They find books with titles like Tight Teenagers, uh, Pedastry, Sex Between Men and Boys. Ah, or actually, it's uh, Peterasty. Uh, Pederasty. Ah, the fucking who care. Sorry, I didn't have time to look that out. Pederasty. I'm pretty sure it's an email, so you can let me know how it's pronounced. P-E-D-E-R-A-S-T-Y. It's one of those words that I just never looks right to me. Uh, and, and, and a fucked up word, by the way, too, man. Sex between men and boys. Ah, oh, Jesus. They find the chloroform. Uh, they couldn't link any of the blood to any actual person, though. And they couldn't find an actual body or anything related to Rob P. So despite all of that, they still didn't make an arrest. They just carry on with surveillance. Former PDM employees, including uh, Michael Rossi and David Cram, are brought in in question. And they talk about trenches they had dug in the crawl space, trenches the size of graves. Huge red flag. On December 20th, feeling like the charges were going to be brought against him, Gary, uh, Gacy confesses to his attorneys to killing between 25 and 30 people. He still feels like his lawyers are going to be able to get him off and his life will go back to normal. You know, He also feels like he's only killed people society didn't care about. You know, somehow he still refuses to identify himself as being gay. It's the victims. You know, they're gay, and that's why it was good to get rid of them. You know, his old, his old man would be proud. And in reality, actually, a lot of the boys and men Gacy raped and killed were straight. Uh, the insane realities, man, people create for themselves. After, after leaving his lawyer's office uh, on the 20th, Gacy really starts to crack up. He, he hands some weed over to a gas station attendant in front of a surveillance offer, telling the kid working there that these guys are going to kill me. He visits a fellow contractor and friend, Ronald Rode, hugs him, tells him, I killed 30 people, give or take a few. He visits his father's grave, you know, I guess going to pay his last respects, visits him along with an old employee, David Cram. Tells Cram, and he told his lawyers he killed over 30 people. Cram tells police, 
And then the police get a second search warrant based on this uh, confession to Cram. Start digging in that crawl space where they'd heard about the trenches, the size of graves. And the second they find, you know, the first of nearly 30 bodies buried under the house, they arrest John Wayne Gacy and charge him with murder. And in the early hours of December 22nd, 1978, shortly after being arrested, and, uh, you know, after police find that first body, Gacy tells police he killed between 25 and 30 men, all of whom he claimed were teenage runaways or male prostitutes. Tells him he planned to further conceal the bodies under his house by covering the whole space with concrete in early 1979. Man, good thing they, he never made it that far. God knows how many more people he would have killed. Uh, he confessed to dumping Rob Peace's body in the Des Plaines River. And then between December 22nd and December 29th, 27 bodies are recovered from Gacy's property. Two additional bodies are going to be found in, in March, uh, you know, uh, when the dig is suspended uh, due to the winter weather. Sorry, I think it was like 26, then two more. Because I, I believe, it's crazy. Every source I looked at had a different number <laughs> for the amount of bodies in the cross. Like Wikipedia will say 26. Uh, this book will say 28. This says 27 plus 2, 29. I think it ended up being 28. And then five, you know, more were, were buried or thrown off that bridge, which brought it to 33. Okay. Uh, dental records were used to identify many of the victims buried underneath his home. Some were found with bags over their heads. They were asphyxiated, not strangled. To date, eight victims of Gacy have never been identified. On February 6, 1980, John Wayne Gacy is charged with 33 murders. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, uh, and uh, on March 12th, Gacy was found guilty of 33 counts of murder. The jury took only two hours to deliberate. He was given the death penalty for the 12 murders committed after Illinois had reinstated the death penalty in June of 1977, and his initial date of execution is set for June 2nd, 1980. In the morning of May 9th, 1994, after numerous failed appeals, Gacy is transferred from the Menard uh, Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois, to the Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. He was taken to the execution room late that evening for his last meal, where he ordered a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, seriously, of course he did. Probably brought back fond memories of employees he'd molested. What a piece of shit. Uh, he'd also ordered a dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, Diet Coke. And uh, if I was a prison cook, I'd have been seriously tempted to burn the fuck out of all of that. After being given a lethal injection, he was confirmed dead at 12.58 a.m. May 10th, 1994. Roughly a thousand people cheered on his death outside the facility, some wearing t-shirts that said stuff like, no tears for the clown. I, th I really like that one. I thought that was uh, particularly clever. Gacy's final words were kiss my ass. A true scumbag piece of shit right to the bitter end. If only he could have gotten the painful, drawn-out death he deserved. And that takes us out of this Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. So, John Wayne Gacy, man, what a scary, scary bastard. First thing I wondered after reading all this stuff about him was what the hell psychologically was wrong with this guy? Well, he, well, he did try to claim an insanity defense, uh, had some extensive psych evals done on him. And, and here's what the doctors came up with. Arthur Hartman, chief psych, Dr. Arthur Hartman, uh, chief psychologist of the Psychiatric Institute, the Cook County Courts Forensic Clinic, found Gacy to be very egocentric and narcissistic with a basically antisocial exploitative orientation. One reflection of this is his development of a technique of conning or misleading others in his business or personal dealings. Harmon found Gacy's severe underlying psychosexual conflict and confusion of sexual identity very significant. Gacy at first tried to claim multiple personalities. He didn't kill those boys, man. His alter ego, Jack Hanley, did. Damn, damn it, damn you, Jack! Funny that he would use the name Jack for his alter ego because uh, Gacy hated to be called a Jagoff. 
I guess like more than anything. Investors would call him a jagoff if they wanted to get a rise out of him, shake him up, because his dad would call him a jagoff all the time as a kid. And it just would like, you know, a huge trigger for him. Uh, Hartman did not buy his multiple personality bullshit. He felt that this was a conscious evasive device and that no scientifically valid division in consciousness could be observed between John Gacy and Jack Hanley. Uh, Hartman's diagnostic impression of Gacy was that of a psychopathic antisocial personality with sexual deviation and hysterical personality and minor compulsive and paranoid personality elements. And Dr. Hartman felt that the underlying cause of Gacy's personality was chemical. Specifically, it was the chemical, one of the chemicals, found in the secret recipe of KFC's original recipe chicken. Uh, Turned Gacy from weak mama's boy into a killer. Yeah, Gacy was actually able to sue his former father-in-law from death row, bankrupted the guy, after winning a $300 million lawsuit against his franchises and against KFC in general. And that is also why the media gave Gacy the nickname of Cockadoodle Clown. That's how he got the catchphrase of finger licking dead. And that's why he started to refer to himself in his final days as the drumstick of death. Uh, of course, that is not true. But how insane would it be if eating too much KFC turned you into a homicidal maniac? Would you still grab a bucket of that delicious fried chicken from time to time? Would you still grab a, a biscuit here and there and lather it up with some fake butter and probably real honey? Well, other doctors examined Gacy, largely came to similar conclusions. He was faking multiple personalities, you know, uh, for example. One doctor felt that regarding his past heart issues and childhood fainting and seizures, that there was no real physical illness of any magnitude. Uh, his doctor believed that anxiety brought all of that on. So, you know, dad was right about Gacy. You're, you're faking it, you little jagoff. Well, actually, not what well, I wasn't faking it, but it was uh, in his head, so to speak, not in his body. Uh, another psychiatrist, Dr. Richard G. Rappaport, found Gacy to have a borderline personality organization with the subtype of psychopathic personality and with episodes of and an underlying paranoid schizophrenia. The paranoid schizophrenic element, Rappaport concluded, was not dominant and only appeared during particularly stressful conditions. Gacy fit the following borderline personality disorder definition, according to Rappaport. Intense affect, such as angry eruptions in an impulsive manner. Usually hostile or depressed. The depression characterized by loneliness rather than guilt or shame. A history of impulsive behavior. A lack of integrated identity or self-concept. Difficulty with self-image and gender identity. Superficial, interpersonal, and chaotic sexual relations. Use of primitive ego defense mechanisms such as splitting, projective identification, and gross denial. Rappaport supported his diagnosis of psychopathic personality by attributing these characteristics to Gacy. Unusual degree of self-reference. Great need to be loved and admired. Exploitative. Charming on the surface. Cold and ruthless underneath. Noticeable absence of feeling of remorse or guilt. History of continuous and chronic antisocial behavior. Yeah, that last one works for me, man. That last one works for me after what we know about Gacy. Dude was a psychopath. No remorse. Great need to be admired, right? Hence all the volunteering and being in charge of teens. Charming on the surface. Cold and ruthless underneath. Uh, seems to sum him up for sure. I kept wondering as I looked through his crimes, you know, would he have killed all those men and boys if his dad would have been kind, loving, and accepting instead of, you know, uh, a homophobic, fucking drunk, violent maniac? And I got to say, I don't think he would have become a killer if he had a different dad. I feel like he might have still ended up, you know, being like, a, I don't know, uh, a weird dude with a strange interest in <laughs> clowns. You know, he might have still been like a braggart. 
who might have to, you know, need to tell people he's a big man around town, but maybe not even that. You know, if his dad had loved him and not even and not been an abusive piece of shit, you know, he wouldn't have needed to prove himself. It, it seemed like his adult life was in public trying to be the big, hard-working, well-liked ladies' man that his daddy would have admired. And then in private, you know, hating his homosexuality so much that he killed it over and over, hating the part of him that maybe he felt kept his father from loving him. Uh, interesting note is that he would never claim to hate his father, not ever. Never tried to blame his dad for anything. It's like he chose to side with his father's verdict about himself that, you know, that weak mama's boy, you know, kind of queers were disgusting. He'd prove it by giving them what they wanted, what they deserved, by fucking them, then killing them, because that kind of man's life didn't have value anyway, you know. He did feel in various police interviews that he was doing society a favor. He was getting rid of undesirables. You know, he really rationalized it all. What's extra messed up uh, is, again, like what I've said before, is a lot of his victims were not homosexual. You know, he just projected that upon them and then killed him for it. But, but, but that, that is just speculation. That's just what I think, you know, just some armchair psychology. What does the interweb think? Let's find out with some idiots of the Internet. Idiots of the Internet. internet. Under a video titled John Wayne Gacy Rope Trick, a short news clip of Gacy in prison demonstrating the type of knot he used to strangle his victims, YouTube user Tyler Yarbaugh uh, posts something equal parts adorable and idiotic. He says, guys like him piss me off. He hurt and murdered incent boys. I am 17 and it pissed me off and I am writing a paper to stop creeps like him from happening again. I love... <laughs> I love that Tyler is going to put an end to all of this, you guys, with a paper. You know, he's putting, you, you know, he's getting rid of it. That's going to be some paper. You know, hey, everybody, isn't it crazy that there uh, hasn't been a serial killer in over a decade? It's nuts, right? Not a single teen boy has gone missing either. I wonder why. Oh, you, you didn't hear about Tyler's paper? No, he got rid of all those creeps. You know, here we had law enforcement and counselors and this, that, and the other trying to deal with crime and crime prevention. All it actually took was, a, uh, was Tyler writing a little letter asking for the creeps to uh, knock it off. I wish we would have known that years ago. Oh, Tyler, don't ever, don't ever change, buddy. Don't ever change. Under the same video, uh, we have amateur detective and professional idiot, user QCabe, who posts, If Gacy murdered all those people, he would have kept murdering in prison because it's full of young males like the victims. He didn't because the truth is Gacy had nothing to do with the murders. All of his employees had access to his house, and any one of them could have put the bodies there. The real murderer is still walking free. Wow. So much dumb here. So much dumb here, it's hard to decide what to address first. Uh, actually, QK, prison is not full of young teens, uh, the age of many of Gacy's victims. It's overwhelmingly mostly adults over the age of 18. It, it is not uh, Gacy wandering around unsupervised with a bunch of uh, young teens. I don't know what weird movies you've been watching to make you think otherwise. And uh, Gacy, you know, he tricked his victims into wearing handcuffs before strangling them. Pretty sure uh, he didn't get to hang out unsupervised in prison with teens and also get to have his own pair of handcuffs. Highly doubt that was uh, the case. Oh, and, and Gacy confessed uh, his crimes many times to multiple people, demonstrated how he committed them that fit how the bodies were found. DNA evidence linked him to the killings. Why, why, after all of that, would you still think it wasn't him? Oh, I know, because you're an idiot. Sadly, like most idiots, uh, QK thinks he's a genius. He doubles down on his conclusion, on his dumb conclusion with another post. He never confessed. Not true. And he had no idea where the bodies were, as it's proven because it took them weeks to find them. 
They asked him where they might have been, and he finally, after a three-day sleepless interrogation, suggested places based on where he knew the supporting posts were in his house. He was in construction, after all. Uh, what? Of course he didn't just tell the police where the bodies were uh, initially, you stupid fuck. He wasn't trying to go to prison. Who, when the police starts investigating them for murder, when they think they might be able to get out of it, just tells the police where the bodies are? You never catch me, coppers. You got nothing. Where are the bodies, Casey? Uh, the bodies? They're in my crawl space. Why do you ask? Oh, oh God damn it. No, and he, and he didn't tell them exactly where they were. Because he just, having holes dug randomly down there and then throwing them in there. Why would you, he's not down there hanging out all the time. He wouldn't have a perfect mental map of exactly where everybody was. It's fucking ridiculous. YouTuber, uh, use, uh, YouTube user Corey Sterner is as confused by QCabe as I am, posting, LOL. Why are you defending John Wayne fucking Gacy, dude? Are you fucking serious right now? Are you related? Was he your friend? <laughs> well said, Corey. Well said. And uh, QCabe has an answer. He says, I have no connection to him. I just seek the truth, all caps. Which is that he did not do those murders. Truth in all caps. That's what QCabe is after. And he's so much smarter than the rest of us, everybody. Oh, time suckers, he's so much smarter than us, and he's just come to a conclusion that investigating detectives, prosecutors, jury, psychiatrists, even Gacy himself missed that someone else did it. 50% chance, at least, that QCAP is a flat earther. Just another dummy who thinks he's smarter than actual experts in whatever the hell he's talking about. Moron. Or maybe he's just a troll. I don't know. And in that case, you know what? Well done. Thanks for the laughs. Uh, before moving on, I do want to address this rampant web speculation that there was an accomplice or accomplices involved in some of the Gacy or all of the Gacy killings. Uh, there does not seem to be any actual credence to those claims. Uh, it does not fit Gacy's uh, style, method of killing for one thing. He was uh, he was not a, uh, uh, you know, didn't, didn't work well with others, not in that way. Uh, he had employees and friends in and out of the house during that time, for sure. A lot of people did have access to his home. But if anything, these were just other victims or potential victims. You know, there's a lot of tales of, you know, temporary roommates he tried to rape or got some kind of struggle with. You know, one guy would actually, uh, one former roommate of Gacy's would tell uh, police he slept with his pants on. Because Gacy would sneak into his room in the middle of the night and just try to slide it in him. Yeah, some roommate. Okay, one more idiot. Uh, user Palomino Verops posts another serial killer hoax. 33, huh? Your Freemason number. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. So Gacy is part of the Freemason conspiracy now? This complete moron thinks that all the evidence out there about Gacy, all the interviews, the trials, the interviews with victims, families, interviews with the victims who got away, stories told by former employees, books written by the prosecuting attorney, written by defense attorneys, uh, friends, family members of Gacy, months of, uh, of excavating bodies from Gacy's, Gacy's crawl space in front of thousands and thousands of witnesses, all the police reports, all the officers involved, all the body identifications, all the journalists who have ever you know, reported on Gacy in Chicago over the years, all lies. All of them, part of the Freemason agenda to, um, to you know, does, uh, distract us with serial killers so they can get busy uh, uh, Freemasoning and, and stuff. Don't, don't you see it? Think about it. Number 33. It can't be a coincidence, can it? Damn you Freemasons. Damn you Illuminati. You reptilian overlords. Dear Palomino, please shut the fuck up. Get off the internet. Go to the library right now. Right now. If you're listening, go to the library. Turn this off. Go to the library, read, 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 learn, 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 until you are no longer an idiot of the internet. Idiots of the internet. 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 So that's what the idiots think. Uh, before we get to takeaways, I don't want to forget to mention that all of Gacy's evil did actually lead to something good. Gacy's crimes 
inspired the Missing Child Recovery Act of 1984. Sam Amaranti, one of Gacy's defense attorneys, helped champion and write the Missing Child Recovery Act. He said his primary motivation was that at, a time of, at the time of Gacy's murders, there was a 72-hour period uh, police had to wait after a child went missing before they could investigate. His new act removed this waiting period, and then after it was passed in Illinois, other states adopted similar legislation, and then a national network to locate missing kids emerged, a network that developed into something called the Child Abduction Emergency, a.k.a. the Amber Alert. So, at least that jack-off Gacy's crimes led to the Amber Alert, which has saved almost 900 children, I believe 897, since he was captured as of the most recent government statistic uh, uh, update this past month, uh, November. Oh, I guess it'd be past two months now, now that you're, you're going to be hearing this in January. Nice to know there is at least somewhat of a silver lining to this horrible story. So let's, uh, let, let's get back now uh, to the darkness uh, that is Gacy. Just a few more times. Let's look back with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, John Wayne Gacy sexually assaulted, tortured, and murdered at least 33 teenage boys and young men between 1972 and 1978 in Cook County, Illinois. Number two, Gacy buried 28 of his victims in the crawl space underneath his home, and investigators could smell the stench of rotting flesh when they investigated Gacy before capturing him. Dude slept above 28 of his rotting victims, and occasionally dressed up as a clown and volunteered at children's functions during the day while these bodies laid beneath him at night. He was the personification of evil. Number three, Gacy spent 14 years on death row before he was executed by lethal injection at Stateville Correctional Center on May 10th, 1994. He had KFC for his last meal. Little nod to his old life when he managed three KFC franchises in Waterloo, Iowa. Number four, Gacy's father beat him as a child, mocked his masculinity, and once punched his mom's teeth out in front of him. So, you know, if you're a dad, maybe don't do shit like that. It's not nice, and you might end up raising a future serial killer. Number five, new info while in prison for murder and on death row, Gacy took up painting to pass the time. And he created a ton of clown artwork. Seriously, made a bunch of clown paintings. One was titled Pennywise the Clown. How fucked up is that? He's in prison, convicted of killing boys, and he creates a painting of Pennywise, the clown from Stephen King's It, known for killing children. Dude truly did not have an ounce of remorse inside of him, did he? Also, the character of Pennywise was inspired by John Wayne Gacy, most believe. Uh, it was written by Stephen King in the early 80s, shortly after Gacy was captured, and his clowning would have been well-known at that point by Stephen King. So uh, a little bit of art imitating life, reimagined again as art by the life who initially inspired the art. Crazy. You can buy Gacy's artwork online if you want to. He gave, a, gave it away to various admirers of his, admirers of his work. And his original paintings sell from anywhere from a few thousand dollars per piece to over $10,000. Fucked up, and I wouldn't even mention that, but it's not, it's not like he's getting the money. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, episode 68. First one of 2018 has been sucked. Uh, time for those extra announcements uh, before uh, some time sucker updates. First one, uh, for the first time ever, there's going to be a, uh, a live kind of space lizard gathering. It's, uh, it's happening in February. And it's happening in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho with the Suck Dungeon. It's the first ever little mini time suck gathering. It's being called a, a Space Lizard uh, Elite private event. And for the details on how to score an invitation, follow at Secret Space Lizards on Instagram. Uh, time Suck's own uh, event coordinator, Harmony Velikamp, some, uh, many of you already know her, uh, will be announcing how to win uh, you know, an invitation to this event. 
Friday, January 5th, right after this week's Bonus Suck episode. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be so fun. And again, it'll be happening in late February. It's going to be a small, exclusive event for diehard time suckers uh, where we're going to get to hang out, you know, just uh, enjoy each other's company, talk about the suck. You know, there'll be some uh, some fun little merch created just for this uh, this one-time event. It's going to have a blast. And yeah, so uh, so be sure and uh, check out at Secret Space Lizards on Instagram if you're interested in, uh, you know, hanging out with us. So if you don't um, already... Listen to Time Suck on the Time Suck app. You can get a, you can download it from both the Apple and Android app stores. Uh, you can create a username now in preparation for becoming a space lizard, a premium sucker. Uh, now only a month away, man, ramping up this month. Show notes for, uh, for each episode are currently on the app. The app has a great podcast player. Uh, there are descriptions of many of the Time Suck characters on the app. If you're new and wondering who the hell Bojangles is, you can read his bio on the app and find out. You can write into the show directly from the app. Easy link to the store and more right there on the app. Easy links to sponsor deals. Thank you again to Bit Elixir for uh, for building it. They tell me they are making good progress on the upcoming uh, initial Space Lizard features for the app. In February, going to be adding a topic voting system so premium listeners can pick two episodes each month. Space Lizards will be able to upvote, downvote topics, you know, determining uh, two Monday topics per month. Two topics chosen by Space Lizards. The will of Nimrod will be felt. Space Lizards control the fate of the suck as they control all of our lives. The app and the website will be the only places where you can stream or download episodes of The Secret Suck. Secret Suck is a new Space Lizard podcast uh, where you can send voice messages through the app, through the Time Suck app, into the show and be heard. Because I'll be, you know, cutting those into the Secret Suck episodes. I'll play numerous messages each episode, answer questions, discuss prior episodes, and of course check in with David Icke each week. He who fears the world is being controlled by space lizards. The conspiracy theorist whose greatest fear is being monitored by a secret group of space lizards. A man who, beginning in February, actually will be monitored by a secret group of people known as space lizards. Art imitating life on the suck. I love it. When I tell people about the secret suck, I I, I just kind of tell them to imagine the relationship between, like, the talking dead and the walking dead. Uh, The secret suck is a show about a show. A show for real fans. So excited to get that going, getting the first piece of exclusive Space Lizard merch that only Space Lizards will be able to buy, developed and printed right now. We're going to have a legit secret clubhouse. About time. I had a clubhouse. I've wanted one my whole life. <laughs> and you'll, uh, you'll get all this for uh, five bucks a month. You'll get a weekly Secret Suck episode, exclusive merch access, ability to vote on Monday topics, 20% discount on non-Lizard merch, and you'll get a brand new stand-up album. I have two new albums of previously unrecorded material that I recorded this past fall. Coming out in the next month, one uh, called Maybe I'm the Problem is currently set to debut on Pandora on January 24th. I'll have more details on that soon. I'll have a link where even non-premium Pandora users can listen to the album's tracks in order. So like, you know, like you would a regular old album. Uh, And I'll have another new album called Feel the Heat that you can only get by signing up for a premium Time Suck membership by becoming a Space Lizard. And you're going to be able to sign up soon uh, through Patreon to become a Space Lizard. Getting that set up, and I will share the details when I have them in advance of February so you can get ready. And, and if enough of you sign up and become Space Lizards, I will be able to continue to add more features to the app. Just keep making it cooler and cooler. Really build this community of the cult of the curious. We're, we're growing now. It's up to you. You know, I'd love to add a message board, a place for discussions to be had and friendships to be built. I'd love to get a, that little dating site I talked about so long ago down the road someday uh, for, for uh, time suckers. And if at least 2,000 space lizards sign up, that will give me the funds to continue to have a full-time employee, an office to record in, and the money to keep building out the app. Keep updating it. I'm so excited to see where we can take this in 2018. Man, the more headlines I read everywhere from the Huffington Post to Fox News, 
I just realized how important it is to stay curious, seek real truths, not just double down on polarizing beliefs, you know, that polarizing news sources tell us to believe in. You know, the more time suckers I meet, the more I just want to make this community bigger and better. So that is that. Uh, also, Time Suck Store is, as of this moment at least, completely restocked for the first time in probably six or eight weeks. First four generations of the Time Suck shirt have been restocked. New hoodies and pullovers, new Hail Nimrod shirt, Cult of the Curious shirt, new ladies shirts are finally in the store. Oh, and their crew neck, by the way. I I, uh, I ordered crew neck, and then I was told they were V-neck at first. There was a little confusion, so I said to you guys, they are crew necks. So sorry about any of that confusion, and uh, and I know a lot of lady time suckers were saying that they preferred crew necks. So you know what? I, I listen, and now you have them. Uh, and there are still V-necks in the ladies' Bojangles shirts, which I which I love. I love that color, that turquoise. But uh, try my best to give you guys all the cuts you want, and you know, hopefully, we'll just keep adding adding to it. So many exotic animal skin products now in the store: hummingbird feather pullover, Arctic foxtail skin zip up hoodie. Elderly, starved, starved, 251% moleskin shirts, 213% koala anus shirts, 100% imported unicorn scrotum shirts, shirts made from imported muskrat labia, domestic bald eagle head feathers, so much more. And thanks to Danger Brain for the new items, man. Love working with those guys. Danger Brain also just killed it with the cover design for the new uh, Pandora album. Well, at least the one that'll be debuting on Pandora. Uh, Maybe I'm the problem. They're designing the new Feel the Heat album cover. Danger Brain also designed the new Secret Suck t-shirts coming, the new Secret Suck logo. Oh, it looks so fucking good. Uh, check those guys out. Danger Brain, the Danger Brain, excuse me, the dangerbrain.com. Amazing designers you should work with. Use Danger Brain for any design or logo projects. I know some time suckers have already started working with them and I've seen some fantastic stuff. So very close to having all the time suck episodes up on YouTube. If only I just wasn't so goddamn busy. Uh, able to kick my new employee up to full time though soon, so we'll, we'll be get organized. We'll get it in the next few months. We'll get seriously organized. I hope that's the plan. A year ago, I had roughly zero business skills, and then this show started to grow, and I've just been doing my best to keep up. Uh, special thanks to Time Suckers, Jillian Silva, Damian Saravino, uh, 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 or actually, Saver, Saver Gino. Fucking, you, guys, you guys and your names. Uh, Sa- Saver is the first part, and then Gino. So Saver Gino or, or something like that. Uh, I, I talked to him on social media. Sorry about that, Damien, if I fucked your name up. Uh, Aubrey Cardi, Mandy Martin, Hannah Carpenter. There's a name that I can not fuck up. Hannah Carpenter. There, here's another one. John Bishop. One syllable first name. Two syllable phonetically spelled second name. Okay. And anyone else I missed for suggesting today's topic. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Sydney Shives for killing it on social media. Harmony Velikamp. For all of her kick-ass positive energy to help on social media, getting that time set gathering set up. Amazing ladies. Uh, thanks to Jesse Dobner for the editing help on this one. Email him at jessedobner at outlook.com to hire him for editing. I wish I knew half as much about grammar rules as he did. Thanks to Josh Krell for his continual help. And thanks to all of you who write in, listen, spread the word, buy merch, come to shows, rate the suck on iTunes and elsewhere, spread the suck, and make this thing possible. Uh, this Friday, some bonus suck. There was a big vote on Instagram this past week at Time Suck Podcast, and uh, the choices were the Secret Society of the Freemasons, cult leader David Koresh, psychiatrist Sigmund Freud, and here's how the votes broke down. Third place, Sigmund Freud with 134 votes. Second place, David Koresh and the Branch Davidian compound with 194 votes. First place in a landslide, Freemasons, 438 votes. And again, if you want to vote in the future, follow the show on Instagram at Time Suck Podcast. So this Friday, noon Pacific time, we suck on the Freemasons, a fraternal organization that goes back possibly to the Stonemasons. Or does it? A lot of mystery about the Freemasons. Did it begin in London in 1717? Does it go back to biblical times earlier? What exactly do they do? 
Do the Freemasons control the fate of our very society, of the world? Or do they sit around, have a few drinks, and shoot the shit? Or something in between? Do they have anything to do with the occult? Or is it more of a clubhouse akin to what we're building here with Time Suck? I'm going to find out all I can between now and Friday. And now, Time Sucker Updates. Time Sucker Updates. First update today comes in from a time sucker by the name of Shane. And Shane wrote in to let me know how much he appreciates not only this show, but the rest of you, fellow time suckers, the community. He writes, hey, this is Shane again. I'm the guy that sent in uh, about the life preparation class a few weeks back. Well, I have some news. I wasn't sure if you were aware, but there was a group, a group chat called Time Suckers United on the Line messaging app ran by your very own Harmony Velocamp. This group chat has united me with other people that share my purpose of curiosity and learning. Also a few memes here and there. And in this chat, I have found some new friends. They all go by various pun names based on your episodes. The group has over 30 members, including people like at Toasty Buns, at Flat Earth Tour Guide, <laughs> at BTK, or BT Kincaid, uh, Harmony, a.k.a. at Secret Space Lizard, and me at Toast Whisperer. I find it awesome that I can come home from school and find over 250 messages from these people and be able to understand everything that they're talking about. I also like to refer to these people as the inner circle because I know some of them actually speak to you personally, which I'm totally jealous of, by the way. Just thought I'd make sure you knew that you have a community of people out there and we mutually love what you do. Thanks, Master Sucker. P.S. Since I sent in that message about the preparation class, uh, the life preparation class, some kids actually started a petition against it. Oh, dear God. I, of course, did not sign it. Merry Christmas, Master Sucker, and Happy New Year. Hail Nimrod. Well, hail Nimrod and Happy New Year to you, Shane, you beautiful bastard. I just, I just, I love that you're getting so much out of speaking with fellow time suckers. That makes my heart feel so good. That was my hope for this little journey, and, and, and I really hope that it's just the beginning. Man, it, you know, it feels nice to be part of a tribe not based on political or religious or non-religious beliefs, a tribe not based on color or age or sex or sexual orientation, just based on curiosity and being, for lack of a better word, uh, cool about life, you know? I love it so much. Uh, to join Line, you download the Line app, and then you go to at Secret Space Lizards to get the QR code to join the group that Harmony has set up. And no, uh, I did not know about this group. I did not know about Line until I read your message. I never heard of it. I am so deep in research and creating new stand-up and touring uh, and family stuff most of the time, I can barely keep up with Instagram. My brain moves slow, too slow to keep up with the constant posting. Uh, but I love that Harmony has created this. She's so good at social media, and I hope, uh, you know, as, as Sydney Shives is as well with the time. So, and I hope more people join. I hope to be working with Harmony a ton in 2018, creating a lot more community. Uh, she's very good at that. Next update comes in from Time Sucker and Majestic Human. Uh, Chaim Schaller. Hope I said that right. Chaim uh, writes in saying, Hail Nimrod. Hey there, King Cummins. Been wanting to contact you for a while, but after listening to the Einstein episode, it seemed like the perfect opportunity. Chaim Weitzman's first name and mine is pronounced Chaim, with a sort of, th- uh, sort of throat-clearing sound at the beginning. Also, Neset is pronounced Knesset. The K is not silent. Also wanted to say that your podcast has kept me company while commuting back and forth to school a few times a week. I've been a huge fan of yours for years, and I love that you do this. As a religious Jew... I love that I can disagree with some of your views and not only feel like I respect you, but that you would treat me with the same respect. Absolutely. Uh, My parents taught me to always respect the people around me and the the ways in which they choose to lead their lives. I think if we all treat each other the way that you espouse on this show, the world would be a better place. Thanks so much for keeping me curious. I've been spreading time suck around all my family and friends, including my brother who lives overseas, which gives us something to bond over. We used to listen to your stand-up pretty much on loop when he was at home. Also hope to catch you when you come out to New York City soon. Please do. 
Uh, sorry if this was long-winded. Just so thrilled to be a member of the Cult of Curious. Keep on sucking. Yes, I love it, Chaim. <laughs> Damn it. I tried. See, I'm trying. It's a Chaim. Thanks for the pronunciation tips, man. So many language origins out there to, to work with. So many cultures, so many regional dialects, so much to learn. I uh, hope you liked the Einstein episode. And yeah, you're right, man. I would respect you and your views. I feel like I, I do respect others' views, as long as those views aren't like uh, destructively ignorant, right? Such as the views discussed on the Idiots of the Internet segment. You know, I, like, like with religion, I respect religious views, as long as I don't feel like they're overtly harmful, which is why, you know, some forms of uh, major religions, fundamentalism uh, bothers me a lot. And also why Scientology, you know, disgusts me. To, to me, that is a manipulative cult. Uh, very destructive, family-destroying, relationship-destroying cult uh, posed as religion, and I will not endorse it. But I would still hear a Scientologist out. You know, I wouldn't just personally attack them because they were, you know, they happened to be a member. Uh, I, I just would not, can you know, uh, respect their institution that they uh, choose to be part of. Anyway, I am very glad that you can agree to disagree and still enjoy what I do. The world needs more of you, Chaim. It's funny. Uh, I know the throat clearing is, is the appropriate pronunciation. I'm trying my best, but I, I feel weird doing it because I feel like I'm being disrespectful somehow. Like I'm trying too hard or something. But that's probably stupid. I, I am trying. I am trying. Okay. Totally weird update for this next one. Uh, <laughs> this is from Time Sucker Tom Hansen, who wrote in with the clown update from episode five, which seemed fitting, you know, because of Gacy this week. Uh, Tom says, this is probably a super old update or such to do, but I think scientifically on Time Suck 5, the clown one, the clowns are so scary. Uh... <laughs> is the stereotype that the bigger your shoe size, you have the bigger your penis. And the bigger your car, the smaller your penis. Think clown cars. So no wonder everyone is afraid of them. Although, this could be my sleep-deprived mind at 3 a.m. Well, Tom, I think this update did come from your sleep-deprived mind, but I loved it. Uh, So because clown shoes are big, we're afraid of how big their penises are. And because of how many clowns can fit inside one car, we're afraid of how small their penises are. Or, or do both the car and the shoes point to an unusually large penis? I, I'm a little confused. Maybe the fear comes from the sheer unpredictability of clown penis size. You know, they could be so huge or they could be so tiny. And are they painted? Is it, is it a huge, you know, painted wing or a tiny painted wing? D- does it have a little red clown nose stuck to the tip? So many clown weed wing questions. Okay, last one. Another uh, Einstein update from Sucker Thomas Fogg, who understands some of Einstein's teachings way better than I do, so I thought it'd be nice to share his info. Thomas writes in, Hey Dan, I am not complaining about issues with the way you did the episode or the facts in it, so I guess it's not technically an update, but I did just want to fill you in on some of the topics related to Einstein that you have said you know little about. First and foremost, I just want to say that the unifying theory of everything is a culminating theory between quantum and astrophysics. It's something that Einstein was attempting to work on mathematically, and it's what Stephen Hawking is currently working on. To simplify it, uh, there is a way that subatomic particles like electrons, protons, ne- uh, neutrons, etc., act that make no sense on the scale of, say, a person, for example. Uh, they can exist in a quantum state, which, to oversimplify that, means that they can exist in multiple states at once. A bit, for example, is a piece of electronic information that exists in one of two binary states, either one on or zero off. A quibit can exist in a combination of the two states, so it actually can have a value of, say, five as one piece of information. And there are ways that heavenly bodies act that also don't quite work with the way us humans go through our day-to-day lives. The problem is that these worlds have very different rules. So the universe exists as a paradoxical mashing of a giant place made with tiny building blocks that don't follow the same rules as individuals. I know that was a lot. Yeah, it was. Uh, But to sum it up simply, both big and little are complicated, but they are complicated in their own ways that are mutually exclusive to each other. 
Well, when it came to the math issue that Einstein carelessly made with the difference between an irrational number and an imaginary number, both are actually easy to explain. An irrational number is a number that is so far from an integer value, whole numbers like 1, 2, 3, etc., that the number functionally goes on forever. Pi is a good example. An imaginary number is the square root value of a negative number. The number, uh, you know, usually shown in italics in imaginary math, is the value representation of the square root of a negative 1. And it's uh, like a little I. Uh, believe it or not, imaginary numbers are used every day in electrical engineering. Uh, there were a couple of other things that you didn't know about that I can't recall right now, but the important thing is you want to know, and then it didn't distract from the episode. If anything, listen to the accomplishments of a man in a way where you yourself don't understand as a 21st century educated male with the benefit of the internet and an arguably better education system only goes to show how truly and uniquely gifted this man was who was born more than 100 years ago. I was, as a kid, always interested in physics, especially theoretical, and my physics and AP physics teacher was a creationist who seemed more interested in finding a job rather than knowing anything about scientists, or about science, excuse me. I get uh, having teachers and uh, having teachers be mad at you for asking questions, even for the benefit of other kids present and not necessarily yourself. I know I'm rambling, so I'll just uh, end this long and overly complicated email shortly. I just want you to always be curious, especially when it's a topic you have trouble grasping and to keep on sucking. I always look forward to Mondays and, of course, occasionally Friday, and I look forward to becoming a space lizard. Again, from the nerd with too much time, uh, too much free time on his hands, Thomas Fogg. Well, thank you, Thomas. You are a wonderful nerd, and I appreciate the nerd enlightenment, and I'm sure there are many listeners who are able to stand more of what you said than, than I was. I, but, I did, but I did. I did get something, and it's just good to he hear that stuff, I think, repeatedly, and it, you know, it kind of like just slowly sinks into some of our heads. So thank you for making us, uh, uh, the rest of us, a little bit smarter with that update. Suckers, I needed that. We all did. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, follow the suck on social media at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Happy New Year! Have a great week. Listen again this Friday. You know, hear about the Freemasons. Don't bury anyone in your crawl space or anywhere else for that matter. Don't be an evil clown and keep on sucking. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.